Um, <clears throat> I wanted to talk about honoring the Son and uh, just about glorifying the name of Jesus and what that looks like. So let's turn to Matthew <clears throat> chapter 22. And look at this parable and see if the Lord will give us understanding and some of the things that I myself haven't seen the way I had just recently about this parable. So Matthew 22, verse 1. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered. Everything is ready, come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and they went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest says they seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged and sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who are invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. And those slaves went out into the streets, and they gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw there a man that says not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness, in the place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So, as I read this uh, parable, meditating on it, I noticed something that I never had seen before. And that was the focus of this whole um, wedding feast focus of the wedding feast, what it, what it was all about. There's a lot of things that happened here. There was sermons that are sent out. We know those are his prophets that God and his servants sent out to preach the gospel, to compel them to come to this wedding feast. And it says that, that some of them were too busy and not interested. That word uh, invited is the same word called when it says many are called. Also that word is many are invited, few are chosen. That gives us an idea of what that looks like when we have an invitation and a calling right, to, to come to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here we find at the end of the parable that there was some that were not chosen who actually came to the wedding hall. They were there. So it gives us a picture to see that, in fact, it says both evil and good were chosen. It's kind of like the um, parable of the, the dragnet. You guys know what that parable where It says that the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. He casts it out into the sea and it says they gathered as many fish as they could and they dragged it onto the beach, the shoreline. And then it says began to sort through the good and the bad. They put the good in containers, they threw the bad away. It says, so will be at the end of the age. They will gather, the angels will gather together 
his elect and the bad that will be cast out into outer darkness. And so we see a picture of that. Now, that, that shows us that that when his kingdom, his kingdom is here on earth because Jesus said we're supposed to pray his kingdom come on earth as in heaven. So his church is a picture and a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven is like on earth. Righteousness, peace, and joy, Paul. Paul said in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy. So his church is a picture of his kingdom. Right? A small portion as we manifest the glory of God through our obedience and living for Jesus Christ. So in his kingdom, there's going to be good and bad. We know there's going to be wheat and tares in this kingdom. But it's not until the end of the age that we see from this parable that the judge is going to discern who is called and who is chosen. Now this is a big part of the parable we've talked about before. And uh, it's hinged on this one fact that has to do with these wedding, these wedding clothes, these wedding garments. So <clears throat> we know about that and we've studied that a little bit. We, these wedding garments, we know these white robes, we have a picture of them. In Revelation chapter 7, I believe, that these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, it says. They, they were wearing white robes and they made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb is what made the robes white. In Isaiah 61, it says, He's clothed me with a garment of salvation and a robe of righteousness. This robe of righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus. It's cleansed by the blood of Jesus. It's not our righteousness, but it's the righteousness of Jesus as we follow and obey Him and listen to Him. So the ones who were here, who would listen and come to the banquet, who had on the wedding clothes, were the ones who were faithful and chosen. They had the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Which takes me back to what I was talking about. What is the focus of this parable? That's, I'm talking about these things, but I'm not, I, I haven't re- yet talked about the focus. And the answer to that is in actually in verse 2. The kingdom of heaven, it says, may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. The wedding feast was for his son. I never really saw that so clearly before. But this wedding feast was all about, it's all about Jesus. That's what the wedding feast is all about. It's for Jesus Christ. Not even the father is making a banquet for himself. The feast is for the king's son. You know, a king is to be honored. right? But here is the king's son and he says, come to my son's wedding. You, know, you get a bit of a picture of so sort of a father and kind of his son and how he wants everyone to come to his son's wedding. And, and now we can get an idea why he's so enraged to the ones who were busy and the ones who were angry when they were told to come and they mistreated those servants because the father was seeing how they were rejecting this wonderful banquet that he had given for his son. He said the fattened calf was slaughtered. Everything was ready. It was all prepared. It gives us a picture of Jesus' sacrifice. When Jesus said it was finished, that meant that he had disarmed the rulers and authorities. He had finished the work on the cross. And our part is to come to believe in the Son. Right? And join ourselves with the Son in his death and resurrection. And so when Jesus said it was finished, that, that sacrifice was prepared. It was all ready. Right? It was done. There was nothing left to be finished. It had been completed in Calvary's cross. And it says here there was two groups. The first group, we see here how, how they dishonored the son. That's what we wanted to talk about. Is this wedding banquet was made to honor the son, to glorify and honor the son. And when we look at this, we can see in what ways how we can potentially dishonor the son that we not must guard our lives so that when we're called, we don't find ourselves in any of these two groups 
so that when he comes and looks we have on his robe of righteousness because we look to the son and honor him as the king's son who is worthy the first group was one who was just indifferent the value of the son to them didn't mean a whole lot because we see here that they were more interested in their own ambitions and desires whether it gives some examples foreign businesses whatever it may be it just represents my desires my will you know here are those who are called they called to come to the banquet his own he came to his own he called them but they didn't recognize him they didn't want him the Jews fell into this category part of them but then there was some that they got upset at the invitation of his servants when the servants said come <laughs> it says here that they seized them in the mistreated they persecuted them we, we see that also in the Jews they, they also persecuted Jesus so there's two responses we have to the gospel here and how we can dishonor the son the sacrifice that Jesus is and has given us eternal life through that first is ignoring the call by becoming busy doing our own ambitions and wills and desires and how do we do that right? when, when we find in our day that we're too busy to spend time with Jesus too busy to do what he's asking me to do when I'm carried away with my own things in this way it says here that I can pay no attention to that call right that call was a, a call that we heard one day but that every day the Holy Spirit is calling us and teaching us and causing us to want to yield to his voice Right? The second group, though, is one that when, when they heard that gospel, they got angry and they actually persecuted his servants. Now, sometimes when we hear the gospel or someone approaches us and we get upset and angry and we maybe persecute with our tongues or revile back, that's one way that we can reject and dishonor the son. And this is what happened. And so the king was enraged because it really got him upset they would do such things to the son and to his servants in dishonoring him and this is why he was so enraged that he had to destroy them in their cities he said the wedding is ready and those who are invited are not worthy why weren't they worthy they dishonored the son they, they dis dishonored the son they didn't see the value in who Jesus was and it made him angry it doesn't say a lot about what all they were doing but they just when they weighed their Priorities with the with this wedding feast, it was nothing. How do we weigh our priorities to coming to Jesus' feet, right? to hearing His voice? How do we weigh ourselves when we go through our day? Do we put them aside and not right now, pay no attention and go and vote our way? This is dishonoring the Son. The ones who were worthy, the ones who were chosen, they're the ones that had on the white garments. They were willing to set aside their own plans. We could say, liken it to our own ambitions as like a filthy garment. Even our own righteous works. If I do dishonor the Son and I say, I'm doing pretty good, I do believe in Jesus, and I have a lot of things that i got to get done, and I'm doing a lot of good things, what I can do is I can put on my own garments, which are like filthy rags. My garments are filthy rags. But the ones who lay aside their dead works, those are works that are not by the Spirit. They're just righteous works of my own my own ambitions or there's boasting perhaps different things if I put on those kind of garments I find myself not having on the righteousness of Jesus the wedding clothes here are the righteousness by the blood of Jesus these are the ones who lay aside their garments who renew their minds to seek to do the will of the Father 
Many are called, few are chosen. When Jesus was walking through the cities at one point, it says he reproached those cities where he'd done a lot of his miracles because they were not repenting. And that's an interesting point in itself, that Jesus did miracles that people would repent and believe in him. They would see his glory and they would come to follow after Jesus. So he reproached them because they were disbelieving him. He reproached Bethsaida and Chorazin and all these cities. <coughs> and at the end of it, in Matthew chapter 11, I believe it is, he looked up in heaven and he said, Father, I praise thee that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and you've revealed them to babes. So what he was saying was that in all these cities he, he did his miracles. There was wise, such wise and intelligent people that were busy doing their own things and had it all put together. They thought they were righteous. They had some kind of righteousness so that even when Jesus himself, the Son, was there doing miracles, they thought that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good, right? This man here, what does he have that I need? It's not that important. They went out doing their things. These miracles did not change their lives. And he said, Lord, these people are wise in their own eyes. And so I praise you that you hid these things from them and you actually revealed them to the foolish ones, the poor ones who were some of his disciples that followed him, right? The blind Bartimaeus and you know, the woman that would reach out and grab his garment and realize that the son has something that I need. And he said that no one knows the son except the father and to whom the father should reveal him. No one can know the son except the father and whom the father reveals him. See, that is what it means to have eternal life, is to know Jesus. We, if we don't see the value in who Jesus Christ is, in his sacrifice, and how I need him in my life, because without him, I cannot bear fruit. The Lord is showing you this. The moment I am not abiding in Jesus, I don't have that relationship with him, I'm not in prayer and devotion, I kind of get busy, I find that my, the, the, the fruit is gone. Right? The bad fruit is just around the corner, it's trying to rise up. My, my tongue, I find I don't have grace on my speech, my eyes, my thoughts, everything. Jesus said, unless you abide in the vine, you cannot bear fruit. You cannot bear fruit. And I, I just had a picture here. As, as we see who Jesus Christ is, you know, who really is Jesus Christ, I will begin to value and honor Him. And in honoring Him, I might humble myself to come to know Him, to spend time with Him. That's how we tell whether or not we honor someone. We'll, we'll lay aside anything to come and listen to that person when we respect somebody we'll listen to them in uh, no, Malachi in chapter 1 the prophet he said to the people the Lord spoke through Malachi and he said um, a son honors his father he said a servant honors his master he said but where is my honor he said if I am a father where is my honor and if I am your master as we call him Lord where is my respect and it began to rebuke. It was the leaders of the day who were giving lame sacrifices. They weren't offering their best. They were giving these blind and lame sacrifices. It gives us a little example of what it means to dishonor God, dishonor the Son. If we honor God, we will lay aside our ambitions. We will give Him our best, our hearts, to honor Him. He's our Father. He's our Master. Let's look at John chapter 5. <clears throat> We need to look at the example of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus was here, he, there was only one person that he sought to honor. It was the Father. He did not seek the honor of men. He sought the honor of the Father. And he laid an example for us 
that we now should follow after Jesus and honor the Son because as, he, as we'll read here it says whoever honors the Son honors the Father it's impossible to honor God unless we honor the Son and that's why this wedding banquet was for the Son Jesus Christ doesn't matter but all the other things we honor and respect if we miss the honor and glory given to Jesus Christ we will miss that day that wedding banquet so John chapter 5 Verse 19, Jesus therefore was saying to them. Now, this is uh, the preface before this is that Jesus himself was making himself equal with God by saying that God was his Father. So they thought, How, who is this man that makes himself like God? Now, with this in mind, <coughs> Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, these things the Son does in like manner. Jesus was saying, look, he is my father and I am the son but in taking that position he acknowledges that he himself is nothing he honors the father in everything he does and he watches everything the father does there's nothing that he does of himself in other words he was humbling himself by saying these things and he also said the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel he submitted himself to honor the Father, not doing his own works. Now listen, verse 21. Jesus, or just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Now the Father gave authority to the Son to give life to the dead. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son in order that all may honor the Son. Why is the Son worthy of honor? Because the Father has given all judgment to the Son. What does that mean? Well, the answer is in verse 27. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now we know why the Son is worthy of honor. The Father himself did not take that honor, but he gave it to the Son that the Son would be honored first and foremost. The honor of the Father is coming in the end where all things will be in subjection to the Father. But the Father is glorified through the Son. And it says here that Jesus Christ was given that honor because he's the Son of Man. So Jesus is the Son of God, but He's also the Son of Man. And what that means is, is that because He humbled Himself to becoming flesh and, blood, flesh and blood like you and I, subjecting Himself to temptation and sin, but in that He overcame, God says, I'm giving you judgment and honor because you overcame sin in the flesh. You know, we hear some people say that, you know, <clears throat> you can't uh, judge that guy. You're not, you're not in his shoes. You don't know what he's talking about. You know what? Nobody will be able to say that about Jesus. Nobody will say, Jesus, you don't know. I have an excuse here because you, you weren't in my shoes. It says here, God's going to give him judgment because he's the Son of Man. Because he came in flesh and blood and was tempted in every single way that you and I are. And that's why he deserves honor because he came and overcame the world. And Jesus said, if I had not come, you would, be without ex- you would have excuse. But because I've come, there's no more excuse for you. This is why the Son deserves honor, because He overcame. And because He was slain for the, for the world, for the sins of the world. In fact, we can jump to Revelation 5 and see that those two things just briefly. It tells us here why Jesus is worthy and why He deserves honor. There was a vision John saw. There was a scroll that was given. It was sealed, the seven seals, and no one could open it. In verse 2 it says, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy 
to open the book and break its seals. And it says, no one in heaven, no one on earth or under the earth, there is no one who could open, who is worthy to open these seals. And there was a great weeping because of it. No one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping because there's a lion who's of the tribe of Judah, who's at the root of David, who has overcome to open the book and its seven seals. There's the first reason why Jesus was worthy. Because he overcame. That's why Jesus is worthy. <coughs> and they looked and they saw the lamb standing as if it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Sent out the, the lamb that was slain. That's what they saw. Jesus Christ. Okay, now there was another reason. It, it says he came and he took that scroll out of the hand and it says that there were four living creatures and they fell down and they began to worship him before the Lamb with their harps. And in verse 9 it also says they sang a new song saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and break its seals for thou was slain. You were slain. That's the second re- reason why he was worthy. He was worthy because he overcame in the flesh and he was worthy because he was slain. He took on the sins of the world. That's why we need to honor Jesus. No one else was slain. No other man, no other prophet, no other ministry or program or religion. There's nothing that can bring us to the Father except Jesus Christ. He is worthy. We have to understand and know that and believe that with all our heart. If we will be those ones who are to be chosen and having those white robes. Our robes will not be white unless we honor the Son. The way these elders who are in the presence of heaven day and night falling down before him when they saw this lamb that was slain (coughs) our own righteousness will not do it on that day it has to be the righteousness of Christ through honoring the son now let's look another example Jesus Jesus tested his own disciples with this and he said to them at one point he said to his disciples and Peter who do you say or who do the multitude say that the son of man is and they all had some good answers. They, they had some answers. They were pretty wise. You know, some said John the Baptist. Some said Elijah. Some even Jeremiah. And some, some of the prophets. They thought, one of these prophets. This Jesus is one of these prophets. And then he asked Peter and he said, what about you? He said, who do you say the Son of Man is? And Peter said, he's the Christ. The Son of God, the Christ. And he said, Blessed are you, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. And we read that, we recorded that verse. No one knows the Son except the Father, and to whom the Father reveals. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal that, but my Father revealed it to you. My Father showed you that, Peter. It was the pinnacle of that conversation, was that he knew that Jesus was the Christ. So there's a lot of people that see Jesus as a prophet, as a great man. People say, he's, yeah, he's my Lord, he's my Savior, but what? Do we really see him as, you know, the Christ means the Messiah, he's the Savior, he's the Anointed One. There's only one Christ and one Savior. There's no salvation except through that Savior and through that, our Christ. And Jesus had to ask his disciples this question that he wouldn't find out. What do you think about him? What's your idea of Jesus? When we talk about Jesus, how do we portray Jesus? We talk about him as a man, as sort of, you know, as my Lord and so forth. And how, do I honor him in my speech? Do I honor him in my actions? But my lifestyle, does it, does it testify that I, I love him with all my heart? 
Is the testimony one like this where my life is, is prostrate before Him? A life of worship, of laying on that altar, a living sacrifice. Jesus wanted to know this from, from Peter. In fact, He tested him again another time. We talked about this. He, he wanted to show them something, and so He took them to the mountain of transfiguration. And when He was up there, it says that His face shone like the sun, His garments were white. Brilliant white, like a like launderer, so just bright. And it says that while he was there, Elijah and Moses also appeared, left and right, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter was there, James and John, and they all they all saw this. Here we see Jesus with these white garments. This is that robe of righteousness that Jesus had. He had that there. We they saw it. The glory of God was upon him. That is the righteousness that God desires for us. It says. As we behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we can be transformed into that same image. That word transformed is that same word, transfigure, where Jesus was transfigured. So this kind of gives us a little mystery because when we're sitting here today, we can't see whether or not we each have on a white garment. Only Jesus sees which one of us have on a white garment today. But on that final day, it's going to be evident as we're sitting there, when Jesus looks on us, some will have white garments and some will not have white garments. Jesus will know who those are. And it's kind of like when Jesus was among his disciples, nobody knew he was the Christ except for Peter and some of his disciples. They were the only ones because they saw in his life by his humility and humble desire to serve the Father that there was something about this man that the Father had revealed to them. He must be the Christ. You know, the one time he was walking on the water, they said, surely this is the Son of God. But when he was on the transfiguration, their eyes were open to the spiritual so they could actually see he had these white garments on. And God sees that in our hearts, whether or not we have his white garments on. So when they saw these things, Peter said something in his haste. He said, Lord, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Seems good. He thought, let's camp out, let's have a good time, let's have some fellowship. This is great. He was really excited. But it says that as a cloud enveloped them, they heard this voice in heaven. It was the Father. and The Father had something very important to say. He said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. This is my Son. Listen to Him. And as He said those things, this cloud that was overshadowing disappeared and they looked up and they saw no one, it says, except for Jesus alone. They saw no Moses. They saw no Elijah. All that was left was Jesus Himself. And he was making a very important point to Peter, James, and John. That in the, under the old covenant, he sent his servants, he sent his prophets, and people honored some of these prophets, but most of them they persecuted and rejected, even as they did the Son. And the law and the prophets, they prophesied all the way until John. But the kingdom of God, it says, is being preached after that. And it's all about Jesus now. And when that cloud moved away and they saw Jesus, they were saying to him, Jesus, the Father was saying to his disciples, it's not about the law or the prophets of Moses or Elijah or all those men, it's now it's about Jesus. It's about my son. There's only one wedding banquet and it's all about Jesus. There's no other salvation, not even through a prophet, not through the law, not through any rules, regulations, programs, there's no salvation there. This is my son, listen to him because if you listen to him, you will have salvation. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 3 when Peter was 
preaching the gospel to those Jews, he reminded them something. In the days of Moses, the people looked to Moses because Moses was God's mediator. And Moses, even Moses' face shone. But the thing that was different with Moses is that his glory was fading to show us that Moses was not the ultimate demonstration of the Father. There was only one who would be the image of the Father. That was Jesus Christ. He was the exact representation of the Father. Not Moses, not Elijah. They were just servants. And Moses himself even said in Acts chapter 3, verse 22, Moses said, The Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me, from whom you're among your brethren. To him you shall give heed in everything that he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announce these days. You see the, the climax of this new covenant now that Jesus had come? He said, all the prophets have announced this day of the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. There is no one else. And Moses said he was the prophet that God spoke of. In my day, that he would come and everyone that does not listen to him will be destroyed. This is what the Father said. This is my son. Listen to him. It's not about Moses. It's not about Elijah. It's not about Jeremiah. It's not about anything, any other man or wisdom. Or It's about listening to Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 12, I'm just going to read here. If anyone desires to follow after me or serve me he said let him follow me 1226 if anyone serves me let him follow me what does it mean to honor him what does it mean to if he's my master that means I'm his servant right? a servant will honor his master Jesus said if you're going to serve me you must follow me what does that mean to follow him where I am there my servant will be I read a uh, living translation of 1 John 2.6. In my Bible it says, If anyone says he abides in him, he ought to walk just as Jesus walked. You know what the living translation says? It says this, If anyone says he's a Christian, he's got to live like Jesus Christ. When I read that, I was just, it hit me. I thought, I've never, that's just so clear. It's so clear. If anyone says he's a Christian, he, li- he must live as Christ. Not as Moses, not as Elijah. All those men, their glory was fading. Jesus was transfigured. He had an ever-increasing glory. We must live like Jesus Christ. If we say we're Christians, we must live like Jesus Christ. If anyone serves me, we must let him follow him. We must walk as he walked. To honor Jesus means to live. Is Jesus here? Is Jesus in this? Lord, I want to hear your voice because I don't want to be here if you're not here before these things he talked about the cross and he said the kernel of wheat has to fall to the ground and die we have to deny our will our ambitions and that's what it means to honor him and it says here in fact if we honor the son in this way I'll encourage you with this it says if anyone serves me the father will honor him the father will honor him if you honor Jesus as he is you know that wedding banquet to you means more than anything else farm, business any, anything and you honor him in that and lay your life down for him the Father will honor you in what way? well many are called few are chosen 
if you are chosen <coughs> to enter the kingdom, you are honored and blessed. Because when they were having a, a banquet, or a, at one time, when they were sitting around, Jesus was saying a few things, and one of them spoke up and said, Blessed are those who eat bread in the kingdom of God. That is to be honored, to eat bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, Many are going to come from the east and the west and recline at the table, and Jesus himself, in one place it says, He will serve us. Because while we were here, we were laying our life down to serve Him. Because He's worthy. But there will some, there will be some, He says, that are in that kingdom that will be cast out. Some in the kingdom will be cast out, like those bad fish that will be thrown out. Because they didn't have the righteousness of Jesus. They had their own righteousness. They didn't honor Jesus as He ought to be honored. We need to honor Him in everything that we do as He is and as He deserves. In Romans chapter 3 it says in verse 21 apart from the law the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe there is no distinction at all comes back to faith in Jesus Christ do I really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life that no one can come to the Father but through Him? Up until Jesus came, the law and the prophets were the guide and the tutor that a man could come like Abraham through his offerings and sacrifices and obedience to a place where eventually he would see what sin was, to humble himself, to come to hear actually the voice of God. Abraham saw Jesus' day and was glad. He came to that place of faith even before Jesus was manifest. But now that Jesus is manifest, we have to come to this place where our justification and faith is based on Jesus alone and His righteousness. And that evidence is that my life will be changed because if I say I'm a Christian, I, I live like Jesus. And I, that get, puts an onus onto me to know how did Jesus live. It says in Romans 15, 2 or 3, somewhere there, it says not even Jesus sought to please Himself. He never sought to please Himself. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Why does He say that? Because without faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how much of Moses you know and the prophets and the law, all the things you do right, how much you've changed your life, if your faith is not in Jesus alone, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory. Your, your righteousness is nothing apart from the glory of God. And the glory of God is in, right, in Jesus alone. Jesus Christ is revealed the glory of God. It says the Word became flesh and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. So that our justification, in verse 24, is, is a gift through His grace, by His grace, through redemption which is in Christ Jesus. It's by faith, through, by grace through faith. And it says in verse 26, For the demonstration, I say, of this, His righteousness. That's His righteousness. That's what the mountain of transfiguration was about. It was about Jesus' righteousness. There is no other salvation. That He might be the one the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's the one who has faith in Jesus alone. Let's go to finish off in John 14. <clears throat> now Jesus kept testing his disciples and he always would you know, sow into them the word that they might come to believe in him. He'd say at times, these things I'm saying to you that you might believe in me. And it seemed like they always believed in Jesus. You know, they, they followed him, they dropped their nets, 
But think about it. They dropped the nets. They did all these things. Yet, many times he would say, "Do you still not believe? Is your heart still hardened?" You know, you question them. Do you really believe? It should make me think that if I say I, you know, I believe in Jesus and I've done a lot of things for Jesus, if the disciples were tested by Jesus and he kept questioning them, they said, "Oh Lord, we'll never deny you. Will you really, Peter? Will you die for me, Peter? I tell you, you will deny me." Why didn't Jesus allow Peter to? to deny him because he had to see that Peter your righteousness all your strength is nothing you're going to deny me Peter because you don't really know who I am they had to see the resurrection the son of God actually raised from the dead that Jesus who humbled himself God will reveal his power to the resurrection not on his own ambitions not on his own strength not by might not by power by the spirit of God so he kept testing them now in John 14 he's He's encouraging him here. Right after he says that, I didn't actually know that this came right after, but this is right after verse 38 of 13. He said, Will you lay your life down for me, Peter? Now right after these things, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Or some, some versions say, You believe in God. What does it say here? Believe also in me. You see that? A lot of people believe in God. Do you know the high percent of Americans say they're Christians, they believe in God? could be 85% I've heard some numbers but a lot of people say I believe in God is that enough? it's not enough there's not going to be a white garment for those who say they believe in God it says here even to his disciples you must believe in me people who say I believe in God no Jesus said you must believe in the Son because the Son is worthy he was the judge he's the Son of Man he was tempted and he overcame and he was slain no other man no other prophet now he also said, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. There's a place for us. A heavenly place. And if I go and prepare that place, this mansion, this abode for us, Jesus said he would come again and receive us to himself. That where I am, they may also be there. Here we see some of the honor. If we lay our lives down for Jesus, this is the honor that we get to be where Jesus is. And that is eternal life. Eternal life is to know Him. Right? It doesn't matter what I do and how, how my righteousness compares to my neighbor. If I don't know Jesus and honor Him in that relationship as my Father, it means nothing. We'll see it here. And you know the way where I'm going. He throws it out. You guys know. You guys know where I'm going, right? Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? all this time eh? they've been with Jesus and he's, he's telling them that he's going to be crucified he's going to be betrayed by the hands of men and suffer and raised again telling things I don't know where are you going Lord and Jesus said to him Thomas I am the way the truth and the life no one can get to the Father but through me it's about coming to the Father but the only way is through Jesus Christ if you and this is a big if. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you have, or you know him, and have seen him. He just told him here in this mystery, if you know who I am, you will know who the Father is. That's the way. He just told us, the way is to know Jesus. That is why, in the last day, many are going to say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus will say, look, you call me master, but where was my honor when you were on earth? You call me father, but where was my respect? 
You casted out demons. But did you humbly do my will? You did miracles. You prophesied in my name. Did, did you do my will? He said, I don't. He's going to say to them, I don't know you. If you knew the Son, Jesus said, you would know the Father. We have to know Jesus Christ. The gospel is, the kingdom of God is summed up in one thing, Jesus Christ. From now on, he said to him, you've seen him. He said, still, Lord, just show me the Father. We'll bypass the Son, right? Father. No. He said here, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? Philip, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Father is in me. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. What does that mean? Actually, I'm going to finish in Hebrews chapter 1. <clears throat> Summed up what we've been talking about. God has spoken long ago. Hebrews 1 verse 1, it says, To the fathers, through the prophets, in many portions and in many ways. He spoke through Moses, he spoke to Elijah, he spoke to Jeremiah, he spoke to a lot of people. But you see in this epistle here, this is here, this this chapter actually, one and two, is, is all about exalting the name of Jesus. That's what it's all about. If you wanna if you wanna have that, that reverence for Jesus in your heart, then meditate on these passages and say, Lord, I want I want to see the Son as he is. In the last days, okay? When Jesus came, that was the last days, the beginning of the last days. It says He spoke to us in His Son. Now that just right there, He's making a great comparison between all the prophets and Jesus Christ. He's saying, we spoke this way before, now I speak in my Son. He reserved Jesus Christ, the manifestation of His Son, for the very last days. For us, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He made the world. Jesus was the, in the beginning created the world all things are through him for him and to him and Jesus is the radiance of the glory of the Father and the exact representation of his nature that's why he could say to Thomas and Philip disciples if you've seen me you have seen the Father you have to see Jesus because the Bible says as when we see him we'd be like him and if we have the hope it says we're going to purify ourselves as he is pure how will I become holy Without holiness, I won't see Jesus. The Bible says that. How can I become holy unless I see Jesus Christ as He is? Transfigured, you know, in that glory that, that Peter and James and John saw. And in the end, all I see is, man, it's not about Moses, it's not about Elijah. In the last days, He's speaking now to the rest of His Son. We have something greater. And the Father says to you, this is my Son, listen to Him. All things are created by Him. He is my, the image of the invisible God. He upholds all things by the word of His power and seated at the right hand of the majesty. There's no one greater to be exalted than has already been exalted to the right hand, Jesus Christ. Having become much better than the angels as He inherited a more excellent name than Him. Which of the angels did He ever say, You are my Son, today have I gotten you? Not one. And Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And as we go on, verse 13, To which of the angels did God ever say sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet see how God exalted the son God gave honor to the son 
because he humbled himself. If we want to have honor, we need to exalt the Son in our lives by humbling ourselves before Jesus. That's how we honor him. When he calls us, we go. We lay it all aside to go to serve Jesus. We don't want to miss out on the banquet, being too busy, rejecting what he has to say about my life and doing my life. Those angels, they're just ministering spirits sent out to inherit salvation. And you know what? It says that the angels spoke long ago through Moses the commandments and the people feared when they heard that. But how much more if we hear the voice of the Son of God speaking to us in the Holy Spirit. That's why it says here, for this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. If Jesus is speaking to us, we can't just ignore the invitation. Ignore the call. Paul even says, after we've been called to this invitation, he says, we must walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. That means that God's called us, but we have to walk in that manner worthy of it. Making our calling and our election sure, Peter said. Lest, it says, we drift away. We don't want to drift away from the call that we've had when Jesus showed mercy in us, forgiving us of our sins. Showing us our transgressions that we might, by the grace of God, deny ungodliness and worldly loss and live to please Him. Lest we drift away. We heard His voice as Peter and James and John heard that call. We've heard the call. For the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense. Anyone who disobeyed under the law of Moses was punished. How much, it says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation in the name of Jesus? See how the glory is in the name of Jesus Christ that no other, there's no other way of salvation but through Jesus it says it was first spoken through the Lord. <clears throat> it was confirmed to us by those who heard the signs and wonders. And that's when Jesus came when all the cities. He performed signs and wonders. And he reproached them because they did, did not repent. They didn't repent. And today, <clears throat> we, not, we may not see a great number of signs and wonders, but when Jesus is setting us free, setting captives free, those are signs and wonders for us. When Jesus speaks to us and we even hear his voice, we shall not disregard his, his voice put it aside it says in Hebrews chapter 12 if they heard God's voice on earth when the earth shook and the trumpet blasted and the fire came how much more shall we fear him who speaks from heaven right because our God is a consuming fire we honor the son because he's worthy of honor and he was slain for us and overcame Jesus name, Amen